Welcome to episode number 32 of Messing About in Ships. This week we're going to update you on a few stories from episode number 31. We have some preliminary thoughts about the marine rescue operations surrounding U.S. Air's Flight 1549 emergency water landing in the Hudson River in New York City. We have an interview with Ben Strong from Anver, and we have some other audio from the U.S. Air uh, incident. And finally, as always, we have some pod-safe music. Welcome to episode number 32 of Messing About in Ships. I'm Peter Mello from Sea Fever Consulting, and my podcasting partner and friend is Captain John Conrad from gcaptain.com. Uh, good afternoon, John. How's it going over there? It's going great. How are you doing, Peter? Good, good. I'm doing a little better than uh, these people uh, who took a little flight this afternoon from LaGuardia to, I think it was going to Charlotte, but uh, um, see this U.S. airplane down in the Hudson River? Yeah, it's incredible. And uh, at first I thought it was a typo because LaGuardia is next to the East River, um, right across from uh, my alma mater, SUNY Maritime. But uh, apparently, you were saying it, it made it over Manhattan, and then and then crashed. Yeah, I guess it did. Obviously, everything's kind of still early. It's all breaking. But uh, from early reports, there was an early report that the pilot said they hit some birds. There was an explosion. He, try, he was trying to get the plane to go down at Teterboro, a small airport in New Jersey. Uh, flew over Manhattan, wasn't able to make it, and uh, gave a final warning for everybody to brace for an emergency landing. Landed it, uh, seems to be perfectly in the Hudson River. Uh, employed the uh, the rescue rafts and chutes. Everybody uh, got out, and um, miraculously, everybody survived, thankfully. So, incredible coverage on CNN and CNN.com and everywhere, and lots of stuff going on in, on Twitter right now. So, uh you can see it's surrounded in the pictures by uh, the local um, uh, New Jersey ferries and the Circle Line and all the uh, uh, the maritime players um, in the local area. Yeah. Which is great, and they, they have experience. There's a, there's a great article online. I'll try to find it for the show notes about the uh, maritime response after 9-11. And... Uh, uh, even since then, it's improved. Uh, you know how to how to get all these uh, small um, you know, vessels of all sizes, uh, the, the harbor community involved in emergency response. Yeah, just I think you know sometimes we uh, we definitely take for granted the first responders and all the practice they put into something like this. These are things practicing that you hope you never experience or anticipate and uh, to uh, pull it off like they did today is uh, pretty pretty incredible. These, the footage is amazing watching the, sh- the airplane uh, float down the Hudson River. I mean, you know, this it's not like a plane uh, landed in the river and stuck in the riverbed somewhere. They're, they're actually surrounded by all these vessels, as you said, the fire department, um, police department, coast guard, and bunch of ferries and um, everybody's uh, been evacuated off the plane and now they're just trying to control this uh, this huge uh, piece of uh, flotsam going down the going down the Hudson River um, lots of information uh, flowing around on Twitter uh, which is which is interesting and Heidi cool who's uh, one of our listeners reminded me today she said on Twitter it's quite the contrast to what you've written about the ferry disasters in Asia obviously better safety systems were in play 
because um, today on Sea Fever I posted uh, about an article that was in Time magazine um, called uh, "Scary A- A- Asia's Scary Fairies and uh, the number of uh, fairy casualties in the last year um, and the significant number of, of deaths in these, these things. Um, and I just, you know, basically attributed much of that to, uh, unfortunately, to human error and poor judgment. Um, here we have the contrast with it with an amazing response by by uh, so many different uh, emergency first responders, so incredible. Yeah, they they definitely know what they're uh, they're doing there, and uh, it's it's amazing to see they they think everyone got out and they're working in pretty uh, adverse conditions uh, right now in Central Park. It's only ten miles an hour of of wind, but uh, twenty degrees Fahrenheit is the weather, so um, can't be easy. Brutally cold. It's it's um and it's going to get colder, and uh, you know great great everybody's off, but now they got this plane floating in the river. It's going to obviously cause some uh, some uh, interference for shipping. Although it's probably a slower time of year than most of that part of the river. Anyway, what any other thoughts on this? No, no. Well, uh, uh, well, uh, well. We just posted uh, the CNN video on the blog, and we'll try to uh, see if we can get some of the maritime uh, response uh, um, information. So we, I can see the uh, uh, two FDNY fireboats right there. We have some contacts uh, with the fireboats. Maybe we can get an interview or something, follow up on this. That would be great. Yeah, if you, um, I'm sure there'll be lots of footage on this on YouTube. But you know, unfortunately, we don't do this thing live. But uh, this incredible coverage on CNN uh, right now, uh, you can see these the amazing uh, footage here. So Homeland Security has clearly reported over and over again this has nothing to do. This is not a terrorist event of any sort. So um, seems like just a, a a normal, if you can say normal, accident. But uh, Thankfully, everybody, again, seems to have made it off. So uh, kudos to the pilot, the cabin crew, uh, and all the first responders like the Coast Guard, uh, the police department, and uh, the fire department, and whoever else is out there, and all the commercial interests that are out there, too. All the boat captains. Yeah. Heading to respond. Definitely. What else is going on, John? Yeah, we uh, we got mentioned by the uh, commandant this morning, which is exciting. Uh, our um, we had a top contributor contest on the forum uh, last month, and uh, we had a few different sections. Uh, but overall contributor was won by uh, James Cavo. He's um, head of uh, of of training um, and licensing for the National Maritime Center (NMC). And he took it upon himself to jump in the conversation and uh, extend the hand to the mariners who are having license issues and uh, were having trouble uh, getting their questions answered. And uh, it was um, uh, first of his nomination process, and then he ran against five of uh, very uh, very good contributors, and um, and he won it. And um, we uh, we we copied a notice to the uh, commandant's office, and he uh, posted about it on his blog today. Oh, excellent. So we want to thank uh, J.D. Uh, Cavo uh, for all his all his help and support, and I know he uh, listens to this podcast when he has time, so uh, thank you, Jim. And uh, we also want to announce uh, the new GCAM forum is up. So we upgraded to a much more powerful solution, and uh, we're, we're really excited about it. Great. And what is it you're using? Uh, 
V Bulletin. Okay. And what's the differences? What's uh, what should people find over there? That's a little different now. In case they haven't been. Well, the the old forum was vanilla. Uh, that 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 was not only the name of the forum, but kind of their motto, and it was uh, just real simple, real easy to use. Um, but it, it had no advanced features. So now you there are some uh, social interaction features where you can uh, join groups and uh, share stories, uh, polls, and uh, private message people. Um, so it really puts in some of the um, social media aspects and uh, into the forum. Excellent. I look forward to getting in there and mucking it up a bit. Sounds Great. good. Great. Sounds good. We have a couple of uh, maybe updates from last week, too. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, the Vendee Globe Yacht Race and uh, a rescue that was underway. It seems like we're always on these uh, breaking news stories in the last two weeks since we relaunched here in 2009. But um, happy to report that uh, Jean Lacombe uh, was rescued uh, from that overturned hull. And uh, um, uh, thankfully, uh, uh, he uh, didn't seem to be uh, any the worse for wear. Um, so lucky guy. And then, uh, there's been a little bit of an update on that pirate story too, I think, right? You, you follow that at all? Um, yes, but there, there's updates every day on it. It's really, uh, incredible what's going on on there. What one are you talking about specifically? Well, the Sirius Star one, I think, uh, they, that was a big news story since we podcast last and, uh, uh the release. Yeah. They dropped the money from, uh, from a, a plane uh, by a parachute, uh, $3 million reportedly, to the pirates. And uh, the pirates uh, released the vessel and exited. Uh, but um, uh, reports were also that uh, a bunch of them uh, encountered a little heavy weather and unfortunately uh, met their own demise. So uh, um, any anything further on that? Yeah, they washed up on the... They f- on the beach um and with um $150,000 each in their pockets um so i guess that was the, the the individual payout for each of the pirates and uh i think uh two of them uh escaped and and the rest were um um uh, drowned Wow. But what's really a few interesting things on the piracy front, and uh, we're working with um, some amazing service providers and uh, people in the area. We're trying to come up with alternative um, solutions for this, and and we're really coming up with some good stuff, um, uh, including we're working with Global Rescue, a worldwide rescue and medical evacuation service provider in, um, in the Boston area. And then uh, I was able to take a tour of a UAV plant by Aeromech, and they're looking to put a long-range U- a number of them over the Gulf of Aden uh, and do a complete coverage of the area. So you have the protected security uh, lane where the Navy patrols. Problem is it's 500 miles wide, and it um, takes the Navy time to respond to even ships within. So these UAV people are going to put UAVs directly below, create an observation buffer zone, and uh, do all the coordination liaison with the Navy. So some interesting stuff. But I just read an article about a um, copycat incident in Nigeria. So it makes us wonder, um, you know, someone washing ashore with $150,000 in their pocket, um, you know, that's going to uh, influence uh, some locals in Somalia to to give it a try, 
And not only that, but um, you know, our other people worldwide um, in similar situation, uh, farmer, uh, fishermen struggling to survive, or or um, the like, are they gonna, you know, say, hey, maybe I can give this a try? And the uh, the vessel was released. It was a bourbon offshore uh, workboat, and um, they refused to comment on whether they paid a ransom or not. Seems to me that that should uh, that uh, you know I was a little surprised that, that we learned about the ransom with a serious star um, and that, uh, but I guess it's probably standard nowadays for ransom to be paid. There are a number of ships. The um, uh, Marad has a special piracy page. If you go to um, Marad uh, dot the word dot d o t another dot gov and then Horn of Africa piracy. You click on that, and they have a, uh, a a great page with links to all the 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 piracy, uh, the players in the privacy area, and then uh, down towards the bottom is a list of uh, ships currently um, uh, being held, and uh, it's uh, it, it's 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 definitely interesting. Uh, they have a number of crew and so forth, but it's really uh, becoming a, a question. Some ship owners are paying it and some aren't, and of course our concern is the mariners on board these ships. Um, uh, you know, they're they're being held uh, right now against their will, and it's definitely not a uh, pleasant scenario for them. No, definitely not. Yeah, how many? There's a couple hundred people probably right now, huh, on ships that are held against their will on hijack ships. Yeah, there are 11 vessels uh, uh, listed, and uh, uh, I don't have uh, – I'd have to get my calculator out right now, but the last I heard was over 200 uh, uh, mariners being, being held. Somewhere beyond the sea, somewhere. My lover stands on golden sands And watches the ships that go sailing Somewhere beyond the sea She's there watching for me If I could fly like birds on high Then straight to her arms I'll go sailing It's far Beyond the stars It's near beyond the So who are you and uh, what exactly do you do? Thanks, Peter. My name is uh, Benjamin Strong, and I'm the Director of Marketing and Public Relations for the United States Coast Guard uh, AMVER program, or what's also known as the Automated Mutual Assistance Vessel Rescue System. And AMVER is the international search and rescue arm of the U.S. Coast Guard that uh, most mariners know uh, enlists commercial ships to do search and rescue activities where either the U.S. Coast Guard or any other Coast Guard for that matter can't get their traditional search and rescue um, boats, cutters, and helicopters. Interesting. And, and uh, you celebrated or Amber celebrated a, a, a milestone, a birthday, a big one last year, right? Yep, July 18th, uh, 2008 was Amver's 50th anniversary, uh, and we had some uh, 
pretty good coverage last year, uh, and uh, I think the highlight besides um, having the IMO recognize our 50th anniversary in uh, in a letter to Mariners was uh, our ability to have, uh, we were able to get the Empire State Building here in New York City to change the lights of the building into blue, white, and blue, which is Amherst color scheme. So we were we were proud of, uh, of that uh, both uh, national and, and international uh, recognition we were able to receive. Oh, very cool. And um, what about, uh, tell us a little about the history of the organization, how it started. I'm I'm fascinated with the history. Um, really, the the genesis of the Amber system harkens back to the to the Titanic, and and as the sadly as the Titanic was sinking and was launching um, flares and um, uh, distress rockets, other vessels that were passing thought that must be one heck of a party and didn't realize the um, uh, the the distress nature of the fact that the that Titanic was sinking. Uh, and it wasn't until the advent of the computer age in the uh, in the 1950s that the United States Coast Guard said, you know, there's got to be a way to track vessels that are steaming through these um, these dangerous waters of of then just the North Atlantic. And uh, in 1958, the United States Coast Guard said, you know, we've got the technology. Let's start voluntarily tracking vessels that are transiting the North Atlantic. And if there's a distress. We can use a, a computer mechanism to find out where they are and then divert uh, other commercial vessels to go assist. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. The, the Titanic story is uh, fascinating, and, and uh, that's just the kind of, uh, pardon the pun, the tip of the iceberg because uh, you have a lot of history on the website. What, what is your URL? What's the web address there? Yeah, folks can uh, go to www.amver.com dot com and uh, look at our history, our press releases. We've got videos and photographs. Uh, the Amver system really is steeped in history um, from uh, our early rescues of uh, mariners that may have been injured in boiler explosions. I mean, I don't think it's uh, uh, news to anyone that the maritime industry uh, being a seafarer has been dangerous and remains uh, dangerous to this day. Um, and if you look at the various rescues that we've had throughout our 50 years, you'll see that uh, you know we've we've had the the good fortune of plucking people from some some very dangerous situations. Definitely. How how does the system actually work today? What what how do vessels uh, get involved in the system? It's it's pretty easy actually, especially with uh, with uh, the internet now. Um, both enrolling in and reporting to Amver is, is very simple. Um, companies or vessel crews that are interested in enrolling in the system again can go to www.amver.com and uh, click on the Enroll Your Ship button. Um, and there are just a series of, of questions, what we call a SAR questionnaire. Um, pertinent information such as the vessel's name, IMO number, its communications complement, and what medical equipment it may have on board. Um, just a short series of questions are, are filled out and then submitted electronically. And uh, essentially the minute a, a crew member or maybe somebody in the operations department of a shipping company hits that submit button, uh, a ship can begin reporting to Amver. And we have reporting instructions in the Amver's user's manual, which is on our website as well. Um, and then uh, vessels, for the most part now, report uh, via email. They simply give us a sail plan or a position plan um, as, uh, as the ship is leaving port. And then routinely every 48 hours, uh, somebody on the bridge will send, uh, will send us an email um, 
with uh, just a short short email with uh, their location, their speed, uh, their IMO number, and, and we store that away in a computer. And in the event of a distress, uh, our rescue coordinators can then uh, look at a graphical picture, uh, what we call a surface picture, of where a particular vessel is in relation to the distress, and then divert the most appropriate ship. Interesting. And and did that that information, that database is kept uh, with you? The, you're, where, where are you located, actually? Well, the Amber Center is located in New York City. We've been here since 1958, and we're in the Battery Park building, which is between the Staten Island Ferry Terminal and a small restaurant here in uh, in uh, lower Manhattan. Most folks will know the Battery Park building is where they go to renew their license. So if you're renewing your license and you want to stop by and say hello to the folks who uh, run the Amber program, we're on the second floor and we're happy to uh, to host you. And the Amber computer, however, the, the server that stores all of this data is kept out with the rest of the Coast Guard uh, computer systems in West Virginia. I see. And so when uh when a report comes in, that's coming into the directly into the computer, or does that come into you guys there? No, that goes directly into the Amber Computer Center. We have a, a watch standers who validate the messages. Sometimes mistakes can occur. Somebody on the bridge may inadvertently put a latitude or a longitude, um, and while the computer reviews all the messages to ensure that somebody isn't, say, trying to transit the Grand Canyon <laughs> or, or across Europe. Um, uh, we do have watchstanders that are that are checking that, and they will process approximately 8,000 Amber messages a wow. day. It's just amazing. So how many ships are actually tracked currently? We've got a little over 18,000 ships, and it varies from day to day. We may have a new build that enrolls. We may have a vessel that goes into dry dock. So the numbers, it is kind of a fluid uh, number, but we, we're averaging over 18,000 ships that are enrolled, and um, uh, we're averaging per day about 3,500 ships actively reporting to the Amber system and available to help somebody in distress. Interesting. And then so a distress signal comes into a Coast Guard around the world, and, and then what happens? Most mariners, commercial or recreational, uh, either do or should have uh, a 406 EPIRB on board their vessel. But regardless of the means of, of distress notification, once either the U.S. Coast Guard or anybody internationally is aware of the distress, uh, internationally they can uh, go onto the AMVER website, www.amver.com, and click on a surface picture request. Uh, fill in dis uh, pertinent distress information, the location, the type of distress, um, and contact information for that International Rescue Coordination Center. And that request then goes to, um, to a U.S. Coast Guard Rescue Coordination Center. They, in turn, uh, validate that it is uh, an actual uh, distress and it's a, it's a legitimate rescue coordination center because we... The AMVER information that we get, because it is voluntary and it involves, um, you know, the, essentially the world's commercial shipping, we view that as proprietary information, mm -hmm. and we don't want that getting into the hands of, you know, either pirates yeah. or, uh, or perhaps a, a, a competing shipping company that knows a better uh, spot price on bananas or something, sure. and it can't be used for competitive advantage. It's only used for search and rescue activities. Um, and if the case comes into uh, a U.S. Coast Guard Rescue Coordination Center, then, um, you know, again, the, the rescue coordinators will generate that surface picture 
find out what uh, ship or ships are, are most appropriate to divert and uh, request that they head to that distress location. And, and, and typically, how long would all that take from the time a distress signal is, is you know, sent out to uh, the time that a, a potential vessel in an area is, is identified and then contacted? It's a good question, Peter. And, and the distress notification to the recognition of what vessel um, maybe closest to divert is really only a matter of seconds to, to minutes. Even if, say, um, a rescue coordination center on the other side of the world is, having, uh, is, is managing a, a search and rescue case, and we get a lot of requests from Australia and New Zealand, um, recently had some requests from Chile and Argentina. Uh, once we get that notification, literally within uh, a minute to a minute and a half, or, or as long as it takes to transmit things over the Internet, we can get um, uh, pertinent search and rescue information to those rescue coordinators. And then, you know, a lot of people will ask, uh, well, well, then how long will somebody be sitting in the water? And uh, the global coverage of AMFR, really there's a ship almost within 24 hours of any part of the world's ocean. I wow. Mean, it's, it's unlikely that anybody would have to sit in a life raft or, or in the water more than 24 hours. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Um, you mentioned 18,000 ships. Um, how many different countries or flags participate in the program? Do you? Well, we, we kind of uh, we track our vessels by owner or management company, uh, and we've got over 140 nations that are represented in AMFR. And that's really what I think is... is is one of the highlights of the AMVER system, despite the fact that it's managed by the United States Coast Guard. And there are countries and, and, and nations and that might not subscribe to the way the United States does business, but we have ships that are enrolled in the AMVER system that represent North Korea. Uh, just uh, the end of 2008, we had an Iranian ship that was identified and diverted. Uh, fortunately, their search... Um, produced no results. There was no actual distress. But uh, uh, there are a lot of, of countries and participants that some people might say, might find interesting that enroll and participate in AMVER. And that just shows you that mariners take safety very, very seriously. Absolutely. Uh, I think uh, safety, I see there's no prejudice or no, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, colorblind and nation blind and everything else, right? Everybody's out there to uh, help everybody else. That's, that's absolutely right. We like to say that the AMFR flag is the flag of all nations. And um, so, got any recent examples of uh, that you can talk to us about uh, AMFR rescues? Yeah, I mean, it's been a uh, it's it's been a busy. Um, it, well, for for 2008, it was a, a busy year. You know, it's it's um, it, it's kind of tough if you want to say it's a good year. In a, in a good year search and rescue prevention would, would prevent anybody from having to be rescued. So uh, for 2008, we rescued 197 lives. Amber vessels were responsible for saving uh, 190, uh, 197 wow. lives. And, uh, and we had an increase in the number of vessels that were on the Amber plot. Uh, we had an average for, for the year of, of 3,421 vessels that were on plot uh, in 2008, which is an increase uh, of about 200 ships from uh, from 2007. So uh, any kind of increase, in my opinion, is a good increase. And we added um, almost 1,600 ships in 2008. There were uh, 1,596 ships that uh, enrolled in 2008. 
which is spectacular. I mean, certainly our goal is to get every single uh, vessel uh, that transits the uh, you know waters internationally enrolled in the system. And um, so far this year, we've had uh, a remarkable um, number of lives saved. It's um, I guess kind of an outlier, but there was uh, an OSG uh, ship that rescued 162 uh, Somali migrants, and I want to make sure that I get that, that I make it clear that they weren't pirates, mm-hmm. but instead they were migrants in the Mediterranean. On uh, January 10th, that's our most recent rescue, um, and uh, they were in uh, Malta's search and rescue region, and the OSG tanker was able to embark uh, all 162 um, Somali migrants, one of them being a, an eight-month pregnant woman and a 12-year-old child. Wow. So that uh, you know, it really shows that uh, when people are in distress, uh, the commercial maritime community steps up to the plate and uh, and assists. Wow, great. Hey, um, what's a, first of all, there's no cost to this program, right, as a vessel owner? There is not. Uh, AMVER uh, participation is free. Um, AMVER participants, when requested to divert, uh, have the right of first refusal, can say either, you know, conditions are, are, are just too dangerous for us to be able to assist, uh, or, you know, our actual position is now, uh, you know, we're 300 miles past the distress location, and we don't think, uh, you know, that turning around and steaming back would 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 assist. Uh, we've had vessels that have been uh, notified of distresses in or around the Gulf of Aden, and have been given the opportunity to say, this is just too dangerous for us to assist. Um, uh, so from that standpoint, there's there's a right of refusal, and then the communication costs when using uh, various software. Um, uh, compliments such as the Amber Seas uh, um, communications package uh, incur no cost in communicating the messages to Amber. So really, the you know there, there's no cost and and there's only the upside, the benefit of either being rescued in the event that the Amber participant is in distress, mm-hmm. uh, or you know the feeling and the, and the responsibility that goes with actually uh, having saved a life. Right. And and is there any other benefits really? Uh, d- d- that, I mean, you know, that, that is there a benefit that you, we know exactly where these ships are within a 48-hour you know, window? Is that a... We do, and, and, and really, you know, if a, a vessel that participates is in distress, this is just kind of another layer of insurance where uh, our rescue coordinators can look at the Amper surface picture and say, you know, this is where, this was their last lo- known location, or this is, their, this is where their distress beacon is going off, and here's their last spot on the Amber plot, and um, and those type of uh, that type of information does help in search and rescue planning. So there's there's really no downside to participate. And uh, you know, hopefully the mariners that are listening uh, to the podcast will say, you know what, they're right, and I, and I should get my my vessel involved. Absolutely. Is there any competition? Do you have? Is there anybody that does something similar in the world that you're doing right now? No, really, we're, we're the world's only voluntary global search and rescue system. Uh, there are regional ship reporting systems. Australia has a regional ship reporting system. Uh, Japan has a regional ship reporting system. Chile, China, many countries have their own regional system. Uh, and we have agreements with some of them in order to cut down on communication costs and to increase that safety net that AMVER provides. Ships that have a uh, statutory requirement to report to either the Australian, uh, Chilean, or Japanese ship reporting system can either report just to AMVER, and uh, the specifics of these agreements or the means of communicating are laid out in the AMVER's uh, user's manual. Again, that manual can be found on the AMVER website, www.amver.com. 
Um, but they can simply uh, put in their position report that they would like Amver to pass the message on to, say, Ausrep, the Australian uh, ship reporting system, and we do that automatically and free of charge. So you, you can see the increased nature of the, of the cooperation internationally with Amver, uh, and we are hoping to increase our uh, partnerships with other countries such as China and India and Italy um, uh, through 2009. Right. So how did you get involved personally? Well, I started with the U.S. Coast Guard in, uh, in 2004. I don't have a, a maritime background per se, but I was a, a firefighter paramedic for 10 years uh, in Maryland. And uh, after an injury on the job that prevented me from, uh, from being able to stay in the first response business, I... Um, uh, went back to school and, and came to work for the federal government, working for a, a different federal agency in, in um, building collapse and, and structural search and rescue, and then had an opportunity to come to the U.S. Coast Guard and uh, help establish our mass rescue operations program, which is a means of um, uh, you know, dealing with cruise ship rescue or, or, in the case of Hurricane Katrina, a large number of people that are stuck in water or on their roofs, and, and that's really a, a good example of a different type of mass rescue that the Coast Guard uh, was very successful. Uh, and then uh, I had an opportunity to, to come here to New York and take over our public relations and marketing efforts for the Amber program and, and saw the parallel between um, uh, the commercial shipping industry acting as a, as a first responder in a mutual aid agreement and that of, uh, of any fire department or local first response agency and said, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm up for the challenge and I, and I really want to help uh, kind of bring Amver forward and, and increase our numbers, and um, it's been a great ride since I, since I came aboard. How long have you been there? I've been here since 2005, so uh, four years now. Great, great. And is this, uh, uh, you, will you move on from here somewhere else, or is this, uh, you know? I hope not. Okay. I'm having a great time, and, uh, and it still pays the bills, so I, uh, <laughs> I plan to stay here as long as I Good can. Good for you. And we, um, one of the reasons we wanted to talk today was uh, yesterday there was a, a very unique uh, uh, maritime rescue operation underway in the uh, Hudson River. Um, and did you have any any play in that at all? Well, certainly the Coast Guard uh, uh, was responsible. In addition to partnering with the uh, uh, with the um, local merchant marine community in that rescue, I mean that's just a fantastic case, Peter. Here's a large uh, aircraft, passenger aircraft, over 150 people on board. Um, you know they suffered a, a engine. Um, Malfunction or engine uh, engine trouble, and the and the pilot had to land, uh, had to ditch the aircraft in the Hudson River, which is certainly testimony to the to the flight crew and their ability. And um, the the weather yesterday in New York uh, was was horrible. It was uh, very very cold. I think water temperatures hovering around uh, 32 33 degrees. Mm. So uh, 150 people in cold water with no survival gear um, is is any rescuer's nightmare. And uh, the Coast Guard and uh, the local ferry and first responder community rose to the occasion. And and while while the local um, uh, ferries here in the in the New York Harbor aren't necessarily candidates to participate in the Amver program, um, the successful rescue of every single person on that aircraft shows the power of using the commercial maritime industry. Um, as search and rescue responders, it really, really underscores uh, the power of uh, of the merchant marine community and and what they can accomplish. It was just fantastic. Personally, I I uh, went down the, the hall to help out our um, 
uh, Coast Guard public affairs personnel just because the media inquiries were incredible and coming from around the world. We've had uh, uh, media outreach from Ireland and Canada, and I mean, you you pick a spot on the globe, and they're interested in this case, and and I say, who wouldn't? Yeah, and we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today because I know how busy you are there with this. Oh, more than happy to. And um, it would make a fantastic case study, wouldn't it, for emergency response? Because it is uh, a success story and uh, pretty unique too. Absolutely. I mean, the the joint cooperation, both interagency, the fire department of New York and the New York Police Department, the Coast Guard, uh, was was excellent. But but again, I you know, working with the with the commercial maritime fleet and and primarily with larger vessels. Um, you know that that would be a, an excellent case study in just how uh, you know smaller commercial vessels uh, are you know ideal for uh, for search and rescue activities and and the the ferry vessels were were great because they could take on a large number of passengers crank up the heat and uh, and then you know a ferry's job is to quickly get somebody from point A to point B, they were able to quickly evacuate the passengers then to waiting uh, medical personnel on shore. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. And, and now with technology, you're able to kind of watch it uh, not only on your TV, but, uh, you know, on the Internet. And you could watch all this stuff going on live, and it's just really, uh, really amazing. Well, it really shows the power of, of social media, and I know that, uh, that you are no uh, stranger to social media, and actually in Amber, we're embracing social media. We have a blog, uh, www.amberuscg.blogspot.com, and we're using Twitter, uh, and uh, it's just uh, twitter.com slash Amber to share uh, success stories and challenges to other shipping companies to enroll. But one thing I found interesting is that the first real notification uh, to the media and to the general public and the first photo from the uh, plane uh, ditching into the Hudson River came via Twitter. So it really shows the power of social media and the Internet nowadays. Yeah, it is. And, and this morning I was looking on Flickr, which is a photo sharing uh, service. I don't know if you're familiar with it or use it, but um, there's a bunch of photos that have been tagged, uh, some of it with the plane actually in the air, you know, close to the point of uh, landing in the water, and just, just fascinating how you're able to compile all this information so rapidly about, uh, about uh, an incident like this just uh, very valuable, has a potential to be very valuable in, in, in analysis of, of what happened. Absolutely. Great. Um, one thing we, uh, we haven't really talked about and people seem to be continuously interested in is piracy. And um, we've had a lot, of, uh, a lot of incidents in the last year um, seem to be escalating incidents of piracy in the uh, Middle East, the Gulf of Aden. Um, you guys have any play with uh, with respect to uh, these these uh, this rash of piracies recently? Well, you know, we do and we don't. A lot of the ships that certainly the ships that are targets for piracy are um, are more than likely amber participants. I don't have uh, an exact number of of how many of the ships that have been seized are amber participants, but uh, uh, with a large number of of amber ships transiting the Suez Canal, it's uh, there's a strong likelihood that they are. Uh, uh, that they're in the area of uh, of the Gulf of Aden and, and off the Horn of Africa. Um, probably the most important um, correlation between AMVER and piracy is that our information is secure. I know that in the past mm. um, people have been worried that uh, that perhaps, and it's even been reported in some of the maritime media, that perhaps 
uh, these pirates are are firing up a laptop and and somehow accessing um, uh, vessel tracking software either through AIS or, or another means just to to better target uh, the uh, the ships that they're going right. after. And I don't know that the pirates are quite that sophisticated or not. I would like to hope that they're they're not using those type of technologies. Um, and as I mentioned in the past, Amber participants. Uh, um, uh, through Merit advisories and other notice to mariners have been warned, uh, and we've uh, posted it on the Amber blog, uh, of um, uh, the dangers of piracy in that particular area, although I think most mariners are pretty well aware of that now. Um, I think it's safe to say that, um, that the Amber data hasn't been compromised and won't be, and that uh, uh, we're not in the business of diverting Amber ships to... Uh, um, to get involved in anti-piracy activities. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that's in, that's that's good to know. Um, anything else we need to uh, you want to share with uh, the messing about in ships listeners who uh, might not be familiar with Amber or might be familiar, but um, anything else? Well, certainly to all the listeners that are Amber participants, and and one thing I guess we haven't talked about is the the Amber Awards program. And now that the the calendar has turned over January, we're going to uh, we're going to start um, uh, preparing all of our Amber Awards. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar with that, ships that participate in the Amber program for at least 128 days out of the calendar year are eligible for an Amber Award, which includes a, a letter from the U.S. Coast Guard and a certificate for the ship. And uh, addition, in addition, they earn either a, a different colored pennant for the number of years that they've been participating. Um, and, and as participation grows, we've got uh, ships that have been enrolled 25 and 30 years in the Amber system, wow. which when you consider the life of a ship is really something uh, to have a ship that's been, uh, that's been at sea for 25 or 30 or even 40 years. Um, we haven't had a ship yet earn a 50-year award. In fact, we, we haven't really cooked up a 50-year <laughs> award yet. But uh, I suspect we're, we may have to start uh, planning for that. But um, we've got over, uh, over 5,000 awards that we're, going to be, uh, that we're going to be preparing this year and, and sending out to the, to the Mariners. And I know that they look forward to them because there isn't, a, there, there isn't a time or a year that goes by where I don't either receive an email or even a, a satellite phone call from a mariner at sea who says, where's my award? <laughs> we want our certificate. And I know that the Greeks are particularly proud of their, uh, of their participation in Amber. And if there's a, a Greek shipper out there who hasn't attended the uh, Propeller Club Port of Piraeus dinner, uh, they can tell you that it's, uh, it's every bit of a, of a Greek wedding. I mean, there's, there's uh, rivalry among, uh, amongst Greek shippers, and, uh, and they take their Amber participation very seriously. And we're very, very fortunate and happy and, and proud of their participation because it really wouldn't be uh, as successful as it is without that, uh, without, certainly without the Greeks and, and notwithstanding the rest of the Amber participants, but that kind of friendly competition amongst Mariners to see who, uh, who can get those awards. Is there an award for, is there a top award or does everybody just kind of gets an award for reporting? No, we've got a few uh, other uh, maritime agencies. Lloyd's, uh, Lloyd's List newspaper gives out an Amber Assisted Rescue at Sea Award, and that's kind of considered to be the, the Amber Rescue of the Year Award, and I, I believe that award uh, will be presented in October of this year. I believe Lloyd's List has switched the date of their awards uh, in London to October. Um, Safety at Sea International Magazine also gives out an Amber Award. Um, the um, U.S. Navy League uh, of New York City 
gives out an award to a U.S. flagged or U.S. owned ship that uh, is involved in a dramatic rescue. And um, the who else do we have? We've got uh, Lloyd's List, Safety at Sea, and uh, the Navy League. Oh, and the Association for Rescue at Sea, AFRAS, okay. gives out an AMVER award as well, which is uh, usually given out in September or October um, in Washington, D.C. So there are some opportunities for ships that are involved in really dramatic uh, rescues or, or harrowing experiences um, to get recognized for their efforts. Excellent. Is there any kind of a function or, or event that you, you, you celebrate this with every year? Or? Well, the AFRAS ceremony and information will be available on the blog, and we'll, we'll push it out through Twitter. Uh, the AMVER blog, again, is www.amveruscg.blogspot.com. Uh, and information about um, our various awards will be available there. Um, um, the AFRAS ceremony takes place in, like I said, I think September, October. Uh, the board hasn't set the date for that yet. Uh, the Navy League does their big dinner, and it's a fundraiser for the Navy League, but they also like to recognize uh, uh, the merchant marine community. That's usually in March uh, in New York City. Uh, Lloyd's uh, List uh, Awards, I believe, will be in October of 2009, and uh, Safety at Sea this year will be at North Shipping in Oslo, uh, I believe the night of June 10th. Wow. So uh, there's some great international uh, coverage uh, uh, of Amver, and uh, and we'll certainly keep people updated uh, uh, via the web on those. Excellent, excellent. I know. Um, excuse me. I know you embraced. Uh, you guys certainly at Amver embrace Web 2.0 and the Commandant of the Coast Guard, Com uh, Admiral Thad Allen, is, seems to be uh, at the forefront of uh, a government leader who who uh, embraces uh, these new technologies and ways of communicating. Well, who is your Amver's basic audience, do you find, on Twitter and in so using some of these, these social media? Are shipping companies actually embracing this uh, as, as much as the Coast Guard is? Now, that's a good question, Peter. I don't see as much participation from shipping companies yet in Web 2.0, and I don't know if that is because the nature of shipping sometimes prefers to be modest and not necessarily um, be out in the media um, much. Um, a lot of our, of our readers are recreational boaters, um, people that are involved in sea education, sure. um, and, and also the media. I mean, I've got, I, I kind of wear two hats, both in marketing the Amber system to other shipping companies to get them to enroll, but then in also sharing the good news of shipping when they perform a rescue. So we've got a lot of, uh, of folks in the media, CNN, um, Sky News, BBC, NPR, that follow us as well. And we use uh, the social media as kind of a means to pitch these Amber stories and and get these uh, good maritime stories out in the media. Excellent. Yeah. Well, it's, I think it's you know it's all one big. The internet's all been one big database, and uh, the more information you can get out there about your 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 great programs, I think the better off you are. Just gives alternate avenues to uh, discovery for people that might need them. So that's for sure. We're looking forward to kind of doing our first uh, 
tweets and 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 uh, and blog updates from the upcoming uh, Connecticut Maritime Association show, Shipping 2009, which will be in Stamford, Connecticut. Uh, I think it's March 23rd, 24th, and 25th this year um, at the uh, Hilton Hotel. And so we're really going to try to um, report from CMA and, and, and let people know what we're seeing and what we're doing and invite them to stop by. So if any of your listeners are coming to uh, Shipping 2009, uh, we hope that they'll stop by and see us in booth G104. Great. Maybe you could do a report for us from there. I'd be, yeah, happy, maybe. To. be happy to give yeah, you Yeah, that'd day. be fun. That'd be fun. Maybe get an interview or something. Get you, get you out there and working as a correspondent. <laughs> <laughs> that would be wonderful. Moonlighting. Um, anyway, Ben, it's been really great talking to you and learning about Amber. Um, it's great to see you on Twitter. And uh, again, do you want to give out your URLs and your Twitter ID? Absolutely. I, and I appreciate the opportunity to uh, share a little bit about Amber with your listeners and invite them to go to our website, which is www.amver.com, or follow our blog, which is www.amveruscg.blogspot.com, or they can uh, become a follower uh, on Twitter, which is twitter.com slash amver. Definitely do that, because... Ben and Amber always seem to have very interesting things on Twitter, so not everything on Twitter is always that interesting, but I guarantee you uh, you'll find Amber and Ben be interesting. So it was great talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule, and um, I look forward to uh, hopefully getting you to report back to us soon. Give us an update from Connecticut. Thank you very much, Peter. It's been a pleasure. On the shore, we'll kiss just as before. Happy we will be beyond the sea, and never again I'll go sailing. No more sailing. So long, sailing, sailing. No more sailing. Farewell, my friend No more sailing So long Sailing That version of Beyond the Sea was by Robbie Williams from the movie Finding Nemo. Here's a short interview that was done by Ken Belson. It appeared on the City Room blog section of the New York Times website, and it was with Captain Conrad Roy, Jr., who was the captain of the first tug that arrived on scene at the uh, U.S. Air Flight 1549 uh, water landing in the Hudson River in New York City. Uh, Captain Roy also attended Tabor Academy, my alma mater, so give it a listen. This is Ken Belson of the New York Times. I have on the phone Captain Conrad H. Roy, Jr., the captain of a tugboat with Tucker Roy Marine Towing and Salvage out of New Bedford. Captain Roy and his crew of three yesterday had taken a barge up to Peekskill, New York. On the way back, they had circled around the tip of Manhattan, near Governor's Island, when they heard another tugboat saying that a U.S. Airways flight had just landed in the middle of the Hudson River. He turned his boat around and headed north towards the crash site. It was there that he saw he might be able to help. All right, Captain Roy, take us through a little bit of what happened, uh, where you were yesterday, uh, what were you doing when all of this happened? We were uh, heading down the Hudson River, uh, we just uh, dropped the barge off, 
north of the Tappan Zee Bridge. And um, when we got down to Battery Park, below Battery Park, we heard a, a call from another tug calling the Coast Guard saying that the U.S. Airways plane just landed in the Hudson River. Shortly after that, you know, we decided to turn around, see if they needed any help. When we realized it was such a large aircraft, um, we ended up steaming north up the Hudson River, and uh, we arrived probably about 35 to 40 minutes after the, uh, the crash. When we got there, there were a lot of uh, vessels all around, Coast Guard vessels, uh, small um, police vessels. The fire department had their uh, large fire tug right alongside the airplane, and there was a lot of um, small boats picking up debris, which uh, was mainly uh, was like the uh, seat cushions from the airplane and like life, uh, life vests and other uh, debris and luggage. We were just standing off, you know, about 1,200 yards from the uh, plane crashed when we were asked if we had any large lines. They needed some large lines to uh, put around the, the airplanes to secure it uh, better to a vessel. Um, we said yes, and uh, we proceeded over to the fire vessel that was alongside the alongside the plane. We put a, a line, we tied ourselves to the uh, fire vessel. If they, need, if they needed any more gear, we would be able to do that easily. Shortly after that, you know, we got um, put more lines on the plane. They asked if we could uh, help maneuver them. To, uh, wherever they needed to go. Okay. Now, I understand you had um, some expectation you might have to be in the water. Can you explain uh, that a little bit? Well, when I first got the call, I, I, have, I have dive gear on the boat. So I uh, opened the dive, the locker of the dive gear in and, you know, put on a dive suit, to, you know, anticipating, you know, might needing to go into the water if uh, there was no one else, you know, around to, to do that. But the, uh, you know, it seemed like the uh, police, in the uh, fire department were already uh, suited up in doing that. And uh, tell us, uh, just in a little bit of detail, the fire department boat uh, is already tethered to the plane, but why were they having so much trouble, and why did they need your help? Well, the way they, well, one, the way they were um, face, facing, it was awkward for them to back up. And I just think, you know, that they're not, um, they're good at fight, fighting fires, but I don't think they're very good at maneuvering vessels. They're not trained for that. So I think they were having a tough time, you know. Uh, well, it's just awkward to begin with, you know, so I don't think anyone really can, uh, you know, knows how to move an airplane in the water. Uh, you're usually uh, uh, hauling um, rectangular barges. I would assume that's a little more predictable. Yeah, yeah, barges and floating vessels that you're easily, you know, that you can tie to. So put lines on cleats and bits is a lot easier than uh Try to maneuver a plane where there's nowhere nowhere you can put a line easily, and no you know no standard way to make up to it. In in the midst of all this, uh, you had a rather strong uh, tide, if I understand. Yeah, there was a it seemed like about a two or three knot current coming down the river. And how did that complicate things for you? It it when you're out in the middle of the river, everything's moving together, so it doesn't complicate it. When it complicates it is when you get close to the dock. Um, you know, you're moving at three knots and you're trying to get attached to a stationary object, you know, it can make it make it difficult. You need to, uh, you know, round the vessel up a little bit and try stemming the tide or get towards the banks where the current doesn't run so strong. Uh, in your experience as a, a tugboat captain, can you compare this to other salvage jobs you've done? I don't know how to say, but it was just very, uh, very, like, erratic. You know, it was very, uh, it was very tough to communicate with anybody and get a, uh, you know, a plan with all the commotion. And uh, I know you've uh, salvaged other things. How does a, uh, a an A320 Airbus compare to some of the other things you've hauled over the years? 
we salvage a lot of, you know, like fishing vessels, and we have uh, salvaged a helicopter and a few small planes, but nothing compares to uh, a plane of that size. And now uh, you told me when you were uh, heading from the Governor's Island area up towards the crash site, you were actually watching some of the events on television. Uh, did you realize you were being part of the history, as it were? Yeah, pretty much. Um, we probably figured that we'd get on TV if we were up on, up on the scene, and uh, right away we, you know, could see our tug, you know, standing by. And then um, at that point, we weren't watching the TV until, uh, you know, after the uh, after uh, the plane was tied up. But uh, we could, you know, see the footage and see that, you know, we were uh, made the television. Did anybody else notice you? Uh, yeah, I was getting lots of phone calls from uh, just about everyone that. You know, I was watching TV that I know, that recognized the boat, or that knew that we were in that area. I, I assume there's an honor among tugboat captains that you help where you can. That's right. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it, Captain. All right. Thank you. Uh, you're a wolf by the band Seawolf. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, John and I would love to have you join in the conversation here, and you can do that through our blogs, uh, messingaboutinships.com, John's great gcaptain.com, and my uh, seafever.org, and that's S E A F E V E R.org. Um, you can send us an email at podcast at messingaboutinships.com, and you could include an audio file, an MP3 file, and we'll find a way to integrate it into the show. So we'd love to have you involved. Get involved. The last music we have here today is by Dave Stewart, formerly of the Arrhythmics, with Annie Lennox. And he wrote this song for President Barack Obama during the campaign. It's called An American Prayer. We hope you enjoy it. We really appreciate you listening, and we look forward to being with you again next week. This is my American Prayer. This is the time To finish what you've started 
This is the sky. 